Hey, DraftKings Sportsbook is putting you courtside with a chance to turn $1 into $100 in site credits. That's right. Pick any basketball team that's still in contention. Bet $1, and if that team wins, you win $100 in site credits. Don't forget... DraftKings Sportsbook also offers great odds and promotions on baseball, hockey, and so much more all week long. DraftKings is safe and secure and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Here's what you do. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code GOODMANPODCAST when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free credits. Again, bet on the basketball team of your choice to win their next game. And if they do, you'll claim $100 in free credit. Again, the promo code is Goodman Podcast. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app today. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. I want to tell you once again about an outstanding family law firm that I could not recommend any higher. And we know that, unfortunately, divorces happen and people grow apart. It's a reality. It's a difficult time in life and a difficult process to navigate. You need understanding. You need compassion coupled with outstanding legal advice and counsel. And you'll find it at one of the top family law firms in the region in Cox, Baker, and Page. That's Cox, Baker, and Page. They've been celebrated and honored for their work and their compassion for a number of years by U.S. News and World Report and Laura Page. And Mary Cox are consistently listed by them with a best lawyer distinction. So if you or someone you know needs assistance, reach them at CoxBakerAndPage.com. Mention you heard it from me and receive a discount on your initial consultation. Once again, it's CoxBakerAndPage.com, a family law firm. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, part two of Drew's conversation with Clint Hurdle. There's still love for Colorado. There's so much heartfelt uh, love. My family still has so many people back there. There's so many people there. I love their manager, Buddy Black. I invited Buddy Black to be the pitching coach in the 2008 All-Star Game based on personal respect and professional respect. Clint breaks down that and game 163 with the Padres. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. Welcome in, everybody, as we embark on the next 100 editions, I hope, keep my fingers crossed, of uh, the Drew Goodman Podcast. Last week was uh, show number 100, more with Clint Hurdle. He's always a a fascinating interview. We'll get to that uh, in a little bit. A lot happened in the last week, and from a sports standpoint, a lot of it was not good if you were a fan of the uh, Avalanche or the Nuggets or, uh, as I am, both. Tough, tough week. In fact, the uh, the Avalanche, as you know, they go out after winning the first two. They uh, lose four straight to the Vegas Knights. First time all year they'd lost four in a row. I'm going to get to that in one moment. The Nuggets, as you know, they get swept by the uh, Phoenix Suns in round two. Here's what I want to talk about with the Avalanche. And I kind of got in a little bit of a Twitter uh, debate in the immediate aftermath of the Game 6 loss for the Avs down in Vegas. And the predominant term I was seeing on social media, and we all know that social media captures everything, and we all know that social media, you know, there's never any outlandish comments there, right? But the, the the number one thought I was I was seeing, number one word I saw, descriptive word was choke. The avalanche choked, and I took umbrage with that. I debated some of you folks about the use of the term choke. Said so the avalanche loss was it disappointing? Yes. Was it tremendously disappointing? Yes, because I, like many of you, thought. They could legitimately win a cup this year. After all, they won the President's Trophy. They had the best record during the regular season. But they did not choke. And I'm going to elaborate on what I started a little bit in that Twitter debate in the immediate aftermath when everybody was upset and emotions ran uh, at their hottest, if you will. To me, the definition of choking is when you are winning big and you lose to an inferior, this is an important part of it, inferior opponent. 
I think more often when choke applies, it is usually in an individual sport. You could make a case when Greg Norman led the the Masters on the back nine by whatever it was, five or six or seven strokes, um, or maybe it was going into that final round years ago at the Masters that he choked because he had a big lead and he was the best player in the world basically at that point in time. So you could make that case. Uh, if you're up two sets to none against an inferior opponent in tennis and you let it get away, you probably, and the elbow got tight and all of a sudden you were double faulting and making uh, unforced errors at a much higher rate than you normally do. Yes, then probably the term choke would apply. However, the Vegas Golden Knights were not an inferior opponent to the Colorado Avalanche. They were a most worthy opponent. The only disappointing thing because of COVID is arguably the two best teams in hockey had to play each other in the second round of the tournament as opposed to the conference finals. And one team was going to lose. Lest you forget, yes, the Avalanche won the President's Trophy. You know who tied them in points? With 82? Yes, the Vegas Golden Knights. And the Avalanche had the tiebreaker. That's why they won the President's Trophy. You know what the season series was? They played eight games. Four wins for the Avalanche, four for the Vegas Golden Knights. Vegas was not inferior. This was not a choke job. This was two great teams with one getting some breaks. And hockey's always full of breaks. Deflections, uh, good breaks, and and perhaps the, you could make a case Vegas had more good breaks than the Avalanche did. I wouldn't debate you on that. But to suggest that the Avalanche choked, that's suggesting they were a much better team. And what I witnessed, the Avalanche were fortunate to win game two because the second and third period, they were dominated by Vegas. And so they got some breaks. Grubauer was fantastic. They win that game. Games three and four... And I know they had a late lead in game three by a goal, but they didn't make the plays to win it. Vegas did. They were dominated in game three. Vegas deserved to win game three. Vegas absolutely dominated game four and deserved to win that. The Avalanche, who made a habit of outshooting their opponents by 10, 12 shots on average a game during the regular season, they were on the other end of that. For a good portion of that series against Vegas, I tip my cap to, to Jared Bednar and to the Avalanche because they played much better in game five. They win game five and they played really well, I thought, in game six. But it's hockey. I mean, you don't see blowouts very frequently with the exception of game one. And Vegas kind of said, you know what? We're fatigued. We're going to give Marc-Andre Fleury, our goaltender in game one, an extra couple of days off, and we'll see what happens. And even if we have to give up a game, we're going to be ready to go in game two. That strategy ended up paying off for them. It's tremendously disappointing. Man, I'm sick about it. I thought we were going to have a parade. This is a great avalanche team and an entertaining avalanche team. They did not choke, though. They got beat by an outstanding team, one that may end up winning the cup. And I know many of you go, well, I hope that doesn't happen. Actually, I hope it does happen because it'll validate just how good uh, Vegas was. As for knee-jerk reactions, you've heard me perhaps on the radio in the past, maybe even on this podcast, never a proponent of knee-jerk reaction. Jared Bednar is a really good hockey coach. Jared Bednar has done really good things with the Avalanche. Are you gonna, are you gonna tweak some things? Yes. Do you need to fire the coach? Hell no. Do you need to make wholesale changes based on the outcome of, of this series against a great opponent? Hell no. Now we do have expansion. We'll get into that on further shows, but I did want to address the whole choke thing. The abs did not choke. That is not the definition of a choke. They didn't play as well in the middle couple of games and Vegas had a lot to do with that with their four check with their physicality, with their constant four-line pressure. All right, enough on that. We'll move on very quickly to the Nuggets. The Nuggets got beat by a much better backcourt. Chris Paul's a wizard. He's the master of the mid-range jumper. He's a great floor general. Uh, Devin Booker is a great, great young player. The Avalanche were outclassed in the backcourt, despite having the MVP in Nikola Jokic. The Nuggets also 
need not have a knee-jerk reaction. There were far too many injuries, and the number one, of course, was Jamal Murray losing him uh, for the remainder of the season with the knee injury. And I give great props to Mike Malone. The Nuggets rolled on, even without Murray, and they upset, in many circles, Portland in round one. It cost Terry Stotts' job probably as well. They were outmatched by Phoenix. They're going to tweak also, just like the Avalanche, but they have an outstanding roster, and they have an outstanding leader as a head coach in Mike Malone. So don't do anything there. When you lose, it's emotional. When you lose and you're good, it's really emotional and disappointing. And that's what we're suffering through collectively in this region with the um, departures from the postseason of the Avalanche and Nuggets. All right, I want to move to baseball uh, right now. The whole tackiness issue, pitchers putting uh, glue and, and different substances uh, on their fingers. Now, there are two schools of thought. Pitchers, some, not all, want you to believe it all has to do with tackiness so they can grip the baseball. And there are some that are honest enough to admit that it has everything to do with spin rate. I am all for pitchers being allowed to rosin, and maybe they'll arrive at some sort of compromise, something to allow consistency in being able to grip a baseball, especially at altitude, because if if you're in the baseball environment, you know how slick with the dryness of our air baseballs can get. So they have to have something they can utilize that will allow them to grip the baseball. But this is about spin rate. And what we've learned the last five, six, seven years is increased spin rate up in the zone with four-seam fastballs are really hard to hit. And when spin rates are increasing dramatically based on foreign substances on the baseball, something needs to be done. And that is why baseball is addressing that. And I have no issue with that. The ball needs to be put in play more frequently. And, and that ultimately is what we all want to see happen. Um, less of the three true outcomes, home run, strikeout, walk, and more ball in play so we can see great athletes make plays. We can see more athletes on bases. We can see more action. That's what sports is about, action. So I have no issue with this. Pitchers will adjust. Really good is still really good. If you're a really good pitcher, you're going to get guys out far more frequently than average pitchers, regardless of what is at your disposal to put on a baseball. I also want this to be pretty clear. This is not the magic elixir that all of a sudden baseball is going to return to the late 90s and offense is going to be more robust. There has to be an approach adjustment by the hitters. This is not simply, okay, we're going to remove some of the tackiness um, and reduce spin rate, and therefore uh, batting averages are going to soar, ball and play will soar. Not going to happen. There will be, and especially coupled with the heat of the summer, you're going to see offensive numbers go up. You've already seen them go up from, from April where they were abysmal. They are creeping up. But there has to be an offensive approach adjustment in concert with this it's not it's not really a rule change it's enforcing a rule and and how they implement this by the way is really important also we can't have a million stoppages in plays we can't have a shakedown every other inning with you know the umpires you know gathering around a pitcher and undressing him almost literally uh in public baseball doesn't want to see that when you're concerned about pace of game at the commissioner's office you certainly don't want to see that all right enough on uh baseball tackiness for this show somehow i think we're going to be addressing it again down the road I want to talk about a couple of rockies before we get to clint hurdle a couple of guys that have really been positives this year um, and that is number one. I'm going to start with Austin Gomber. Gomber came as the only big league player in the Nolan deal, as I'm sure you're well aware. And most people didn't know much about him. He pitched a little bit last year, spot starter, worked out of the pen, had a really nice ERA. He had a 186 last year with the Cardinals, a lefty who was known as a fly ball pitcher. Well, there wasn't a great body of work yet at the big league level. Do you know what? He has a ground ball rate above 50% this year, which suggests he's been more of a ground ball pitcher. 
he has, and you've heard us talk about this uh, probably ad nauseum uh, on the air, that he has a true four-pitch mix. What does that mean? He doesn't rely just on one or two pitches. Here's the heater, here's the slider, so to speak. He throws all four pitches, fastball, his four pitches, fastball, curveball, which is one of the better curveballs in baseball, slider, and changeup. And all of them, with the exception of the fastball probably, are slightly above average. In the case of the curveball, it's well above average. It helps play his fastball up. He works 91 and 93. So in this era of everybody throwing triple digits, it seems like, he pitches. And he's not afraid. He's a great competitor. He has a great pitch mix. On a day where maybe he doesn't have the good slider, he has three other pitches. And you know what? His numbers have been unbelievable. As we tape this on a Wednesday morning in front of the Rockies uh, finale against the Padres, in his last seven starts, he has a 128 earned run average. He has struck out 41 and walked three. This is a guy who, you know, clearly was overamped in his first start, wanted to make a great impression uh, against the Dodgers for the Rockies, uh, walked seven. And then he had a, a terrible outing in San Francisco. Well, since that time, he has pitched as well as just about anyone in baseball not named Jacob DeGrom. You can look up the stats. He's pitched at an all-star worthy level. And it's been fun to watch, especially at Coors Field. Think about this. In his five starts with the Rockies at Coors Field, Coors Field, the hitter's paradise. Everybody ridicules it around the country, right? Anybody can hit there. He has an O. 95 ERA. That bears repeating. A 0.95 ERA, five starts at Coors Field for Austin Gomber. So uh, I tip my cap to him. Another Rocky I want to talk about. And I'm going to be honest here about Rymel Tapia. The first couple go-rounds for Rymel in the big leagues, I thought he was going to be an extra outfielder. I thought this guy plays hard. He has really good bat-to-ball skills, but he swings at virtually everything, which probably not good. So it's not going to be a high walk rate. Uh, there were issues at times in the outfield, missing cutoff guys, um, good speed, but sometimes not always making the best decisions on the bases. And he's not alone for a young player. Let me tell you what, Ronald Tapia has really grown on me. I, I love when he comes up. Because in this day and age, see the earlier conversation we were having, where the ball is not in play, and we're talking all the time about the high strikeout rate, better than 24% right now. Just a few years ago, it was around 18%. Rymel Tapia puts the ball in play. Rymel Tapia, you can't shift on. We talk about shifts all the time. You can't put three on the right side against Rymel Tapia because... He hits the ball from pillow to pillow. He'll hit smoke balls down the third base line as he did last night. Go ahead, uh, double to give the Rockies a 5-4 lead on their way to an 8-4 win against San Diego. Uh, he can pull the baseball. The ball is in play, and he plays with such great energy, such great enthusiasm. I think it's infectious. And for a guy that... You know, doesn't hit the ball over the wall with great regularity. He's got some pop. I mean, he's a strong kid. He's got five home runs. This guy, to me, is a joy to watch. And um, he, he's grown on me quite a bit, which gets me to something else. If I'm going to be true to my word, and I've said this you know, frequently on the podcast and, and on AT&T as well, that is, you know, this is a season of growth. This is a season where you start to evaluate, really, truly evaluate younger service time players, the Garrett Hampsons of the world, even, you know, the Rymel Toppies, Brendan Rogers, who's been coming on. You've got to give them a chance to grow. It does not happen overnight. It doesn't happen after 50 at-bats or even 150 at-bats. It takes some time. We've seen growth with Garrett Hampson. We've seen significant growth with the aforementioned Rymel Tapia. So I tip my cap as well um, to Rymel. He is, uh, he's fun to watch. And you know what? If you have eight or nine of those guys in your lineup, you know, we talk about the big fly and yeah, we, we love watching that. And Ryan McMahon's had a great year, an all-star worthy year. Um, and uh, so I'm never going to say, boy, I don't want to see the ball fly over the wall. But if you're watching Rymel 
take that type of player, take, you know, up and down your lineup. Ain't nothing wrong with that. That's entertaining. That's ball in play. That's excitement. That's a guy stretching singles into doubles. So I'm all in uh, on that. So, again, tip of the cap to Gomber, Tapia, and, and also Ryan McMahon because he's been steady. He's hitting the ball over the wall. He's getting big hits. He's had a big Padre series um, so far. And also, as awful as the Rockies are on the road, they're pretty good at home now. As we tape, they're 22-14. and 14. That is one of the best marks, crazy as it may sound, in the National League. Hard to figure, but I like how they play. I like their enthusiasm, and they have pitched beautifully at Coors Field, which makes no sense that they've pitched so much better as a rotation, three runs better as a rotation at Coors Field than out on the road. We'll get more into that at a later time. Time to get us, though, to our Ideal Home Loans interview of the week. Uh, it's Clint Hurdle, part two, and um, I think you'll enjoy it. So here it is, part two, our Ideal Home Loans interview of the week, the former Rocky skipper, Clint Hurdle. You know what? I've never asked you this one. Um, and again, we I know how optimistic you are. And the the 13th inning and, and Harrison hits the home run and things look bleak. And, and from my standpoint, it happened like a million miles an hour. Boom, boom, boom. And, and there's, you know, Matt sliding into home plate, uh, you know, and Jamie hitting that line drive uh, to right. I've never asked you, though. All of a sudden, you got no one out. You have the winning run at third. You have a guy who handles the bat exceptionally well in Jamie. And I know it's more of a collegiate thing. Did you ever think, you know what, we're going to squeeze here? I mean, what what was your mindset as you as you you know managed that moment, if you will? Well, actually, I started thinking about squeezing when Holiday was at third and help was coming up, and I had. I figured I had 10 or 15 seconds to, to come up with plan B. I know Carroll's on deck. We had double switched earlier in the game, like we'd basically done all that much for Garrett, for, for defense. And so part of me was saying, yeah, and then I, then I thought back for a quick moment. Okay, how many squeeze plays have you put on since you've been a rock? So I'm thinking, well, that's not a strength play for us, you know? We had hit this guy so well, so quick. I'm thinking, there I go. If I do that, maybe I'm getting in the way of the game. Why don't you just let the mojo go and let's play? And I can remember looking at Quirk thinking, you know, I think he even knew what I was thinking. He goes, no. <laughs> <laughs> People forget that we made a pitching change, and a guy that hadn't thrown in like 12 or 13 days came in and got the outs to give us a shot. But I can remember it was like nothing ever happened. It's in the dugout when these guys got back in, Cockrell comes down to me and he goes, okay, we're down two. Do we take a strike? I looked at him and I go, well, we got a first ballot Hall of Fame on, on the mound. He's hard to hit. I don't think it's smart hitting with two strikes. Let's just go ahead and bang it from jump. Don't be ready to hit. It was kind of cool that, you know, no, it, it wasn't cool that we were down to and had gone to that place, but then it was kind of cool just the way the guys came in. I was like, all right, so what? Now what? And, and there it went. But, yeah, there was a moment thinking about a squeeze. It really wasn't, at the end of the day, the play that I had, you know, really had in my pocket. Yeah, it worked out of it. I think it was more about me if it was a squeeze than, than about anything else. And that's why I said, no, let's just let's swing it back. Do, do you know what that reminds me of? And I roll these out every once in a while, Clint, on, on the air. Um, I call them, you know, Clintisms because you got a lot of them, my friend. And uh, I'm going to throw two at you right now. One is, um, and you would break this out on the media periodically. And, and I and I say this a lot because it's, it's really easy. And we all love to do it in sports is second guess. And you know what? You would always say, guess what? My job is I have to first guess. And I love that one because it's true. And you had to first guess on what you decided not to do, if you will. Um, and then there's another one that I've heard both you and Jamie Quirk uh, say, which is which is one of my all-time favorites about the big leagues. And that is, this isn't the try-hard league. This is the do-good league. I love that one. Uh, and sometimes the best learning you can do is always by listening. If you're a second guesser, it takes you two guesses to get one right. It's a hard way to live. I think you you know, anybody that's ever been listening to me after a game in Colorado or Pittsburgh, trying hard, it's like grits with breakfast in the South. It just comes with a deal, man. If you're talking about trying hard, you're missing a boat of competition. Yeah, trying hard, that needs to be ingrained in your soul when you're sick. But trying hard, I mean, my goodness, you know. Do you think my owners that I've had the past wanted me to try hard as a manager to win games? 
there's a different player that wakes up in the morning. There's not an owner that wakes up in the morning because you know what? Let me see what I can do to screw things up today. I, I listen. I say this frequently, um, and that is I, that's why I hate booing because. The last guy that wants to suck, is this what you're saying, is the guy out on the mound. The last guy who wants to walk two guys in a row is the guy on the mound. The last guy who wants to punch out with the bases loaded and the game on the line is the guy at the plate. So you booing him, what, I mean, what is that? You're out there, you, you know, you're in the stands. You're not in the arena. Well, I've learned a lot, you know, it speaks more about yourself than it does the person you're booing. You learn from the from others' perspective as well because perspective is real, and that's one of the things I think I, I was fortunate that before I managed, I kind of figure out people would say, "Well, your perception is wrong." No, my perception is not wrong. My perception, I own it, and but that's how I feel. That's what I'm seeing. That's what I got. Fans booing, people booing. I get it, but it does speak more to the fan and maybe what's going on in his or her life, or just the fact that they think your team sucks. I respect the effort. I do respect the effort, even though it's not a try-hard league, but I know how hard it is to win, and I know what goes into it, all the people that are trying to pull it off, so I probably just give a little more grace than the guy next door. Um, at the same time, there comes a point in time where you're, if you're not producing, you're not getting the results that are needed, it's time to move on. How closely have you watched the Rockies from, from afar, Clint? Obviously, the last great number of years you, you were with Pittsburgh, you're always going to have ties here. Um you know, what What are your observations from, you know, 10,000 feet and 2,000 miles? There's so much heartfelt uh, love. My family still has so many people back there. There's so many people there. I love their manager, Buddy Black. I invited Buddy Black to be the pitching coach in the 2008 All-Star game based on personal respect and professional respect. And I used to love just to post up the lineup with, with Coach Black. I still to this day call him Coach Black. Coach Black, Dick Mossberg, like I said, there's people in Colorado uh, we love. There's not too many players there that I know of anymore. Oh, there's some coaches. My best man coaches first base, Ron Gideon. Sue Cole, I was his hitting coach. There's people I pull for, and you know the challenge is real. They're still trying to find that consistent winning formula where you need to dominate at home. Yes, I understand the road record's not, it's, it's not good at all this year. However, it's not like you're getting boat raced all the time. It comes down to execution. Whether you're in Colorado, whether you're in Pittsburgh, whether you're in L.A., your ability to execute and meet the demands of the game is what creates separation in our industry. You're always going to be able to get hitters, but it's draft and develop. Um, and the one thing you know, that you, you'd like to do is just dominate at home because I think even in those seven, we were three games under 500 on the road. But that's, that's close. And most teams play better at home than they do on the road. You need two center fielders in the outfield, unless you got three boppers like we did back in the day, the Blake Street Bombers, but you haven't seen that happen again in a long time. You know, that's a big outfield, and you need to play some defense. you got to play 27 outs on defense, and you got to have game changers up the middle defensively. And we actually played our best baseball with Spielberg and Sullivan Center. you got power on the corners. It's kind of an old-school recipe with some new-school twists. I believe in a hybrid situation, you know. It's not all analytics. The game continues to evolve, and I know for a fact that all three of us here, Dick, Greg, and Billy, they care. They're going to put everything they got into winning. And that's why you got to do what you believe in your heart with all your might, because you're going to get second-guessed either way. More with the all-time winningest skipper in Rockies history, Clint Hurdle. But first, this for Ideal Home Loans. I tell you about them every week, and I have for a number of years. You can reach them at 303-867-7000. Now, Ideal Home Loans is a direct mortgage lender. What does that mean? Well, this is what it means. They can provide their clients with lower fees, lower rates, and faster closings all with a level of customer service not found at other mortgage companies. So give them a call today, 303-867-7000. I'm finishing up a refinance right now. Don't wait. Don't waste time. Make sure you give them a holler and start saving money very, very shortly. Again, the phone number is 303-867-7000. It's Ideal Home Loans, Brent Ivinson and his team. They've been in business for more than 20 years right here in Colorado. Gotta love it. Ideal Home Loans. Now back to more with Clint Hurdle. Hey, you're going to be in town um, for the 
uh, grand opening, if you will, of McGregor Square. And Kelly, I, I get asked periodically about Kelly. And I say, you know, I don't know if the void was ever filled. And Kelly was truly, he wasn't just president of the Rockies. This is a very unique human being. How do you articulate who Kelly was and the void that has been there now for 11 years? The one thing I was always really appreciative of is for nine years, I would come back on the visitor's side. And the number of people that would find their way down to say hello before the game, as early as 2 o'clock in the afternoon, you know, up until 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, and then fans outside, there was always a flow of friendship, of love, of support, of thankfulness. Dick would find his way down. Greg would find his way down. Danny and then even, you know, Jeff Brightis, all so many different people. You would come in, and it was always about an interview. You know, a lot of the writers, there's a sense of, there was a sense of pride and a sense of determination and swagger, if you will. You know, that when people came into our park and we were in the Rockies, you know, you weren't, you weren't getting out alive. You were going to hope to get out alive. The pitching was going to beat up. Your position players were going to be tired from chasing balls. And then you get on down the road. Um, and I think that's something, there's something to be said for that feeling of home field. Um, but I don't know if it's been at that level that it's maybe been at before. They've got a good record this year. But again, I'm not the Kings. I'm watching them a little bit. It seems like there's, you know, there is some momentum and some swagger at home now, which is healthy. Um, but Kelly in and of himself, I think, you know, he was a connector. He was a relationship builder. Um, he believed in excellence. And, you know, he had a sense of pride about the ballpark, the community, um, every employee in that organization. Um, and that's what made it real, is that Kelly had time for everybody. It was about, you know, it, he would say, everybody counts or nobody counts. And if all you got at the end of the day is it's all about winning and nothing else, it's going to be short-fueled, it's going to be short-lived, life's about relationships. And that, that's going to replace people like that, you know? And it's not about the, the, the – I don't think the focus should be replacing Kelly. It's just he left the playbook, you know, and I, and I really believe everybody there knows this. It's just run the plays. Um, you know, revisit the staples that have worked. Um, sometimes you do have to change lanes because things do change. And I know there are people there that care about the organization, and we've all had to deal with so much different in the past two years with COVID. So I don't know. I just know that there's excellence in that building. There's going to be excellence in McGregor Square. There's always somebody that creates the wake. And Kelly, more often than not, created a wake, and it was always a positive what do you perceive the next chapter to be, Clint? I, I mean, I think you've, you've stated pretty clearly after you finished in Pittsburgh that, that you know, you, you weren't going to be on the top step of a dugout moving forward, but there's a lot of life left. My wife, she says, I hear you talk and people call and you have conversations. She goes, your most, your most passionate conversations are about baseball. She goes, I hear it in your voice. Because there, there's a passion for people. There's a passion for leadership. There's a passion for the things that Kelly taught me. I've learned that there are a lot of people, um, whether it was Frank Toonley or Neil Huntington and Kyle Stark in Pittsburgh, I'm still motivated and passionate about leadership, about helping people find their best selves, their best, their best places. I'm putting the uniform away. I guess I'm going to break it out. I'm going to give you some breaking news. I'm going to break it out July 9th. I've been asked to manage the high school All-American game, one of the teams, the course field for the All-Star game. So, but there's no more managerial days for me. I don't have I don't have the desire, um, and it's just because I really feel I've done my time, and I think there's an area in the season of life that I that I can be more influential and more impactful if an opportunity arises. There's a lot going on here. This isn't really a hiring state for the game of baseball right now with all it's been through, you know? Yeah. Um, I've spent more time in the amateur space in the last 19 months than the professional space, and this has been eye-opening. Uh, it's been stimulating. I've done some work for Perfect Game. I continue to work for the baseball factory. So this high school game, uh, 
when this man called me up from MLB the other day to manage the high school All-American. First of all, I don't know how much you're going to manage. Uh, but what a great invitation and opportunity to get back to Colorado before the All-Star Game festivities when things are crazy. But to watch some high school kids with big dreams get in a dugout and go play on that field, how cool is that going to be? That's going to be that's going to be tremendous. I want to ask you about a couple of guys real quick, and then I have one one kind of I don't know question that that I think uh, you'll enjoy kicking around. Perhaps um, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about a couple of all time Rockies. One's now a Hall of Famer, Larry Walker. When you think of Walker, what do you think? He is the best baseball player I've ever witnessed play the game. Charlie Morton said this to me one time. He was. He was trying to figure things out in Pittsburgh and really didn't consistently, and he went to a couple other places, and he has. But he said, I hate hearing the fact that I was given a gift, you know, the ability to sink the fast. But he goes, I work hard. You know, I do a lot of things hard. I try and get better. And I think Larry Walker, people, you know, look at him and, you know, wow, he was just born a baseball player. Most of us know that that's not the truth. I have been born a hockey player. Fell in like with baseball, and then maybe fell in love with baseball, and then just turned out to be one of the best players the game's ever seen. He can beat you with his gloves. He can beat you with his legs. The bat, power, base hit, speed. It was so creative at times. Who ever thought of Deacon balls over your head off the right field scoreboard like he did? The slide-by home thing. Who came up with that first? When you slide by home and you touch with your hand. Walker invented stuff. The creative eye. I won a batting title with one arm. The one year as a hitting coach there. So I got to see him as a hitting coach. I got to be his manager. He could carry a club like, like nobody's business. He worked, he worked harder than anybody ever thinks he did with all of those things to be, to be really, really good and obviously to be one of the best ever. More with Drew Goodman and Clint Hurdle right after this. I'm telling you about Steel Power Tools. S-T-I-H-L. They have over 10,000 dealers around the country. Chainsaws, blowers, trimmers, and so much more. Hey, quick story. I was out on a run. Uh, just the other day, and there was this enormous, and I mean enormous, dead tree that I was passing, and uh, there was a, a couple of guys who were going to take down some of the bigger branches so they didn't fall on anyone, and what do I notice? The guy's got a, an enormous, this is probably too big for your garage, you may not need this, but an enormous steel chainsaw. I don't know, maybe you do have some big projects that you could use one that big, but they have every size every possible tool that you could use and they're the best products out on the market. SteelDealers.com is where you're going to find your local dealer. It's S-T-I-H-L. Again, steel chainsaws, blowers, trimmers, and so much more. Gas, electric, and battery powered. I have a garage full of them. You should as well. SteelDealers.com. Boyer's Coffee, as you know, it's how I start my day. And I also continue my day with Boyer's Coffee at the Boyer's Cafe on the club level during ball games. Deb's great enough to bring me by uh, a fresh cup every day, and that's what I get. Uh, that's what I use to help me get through the first part of the ball game. I love it. They're the legendary Rocky Mountain Roaster. They've been brewed in Colorado since 1965. They're a proud coffee partner of the Colorado Rockies, and they have been for a number of years. Do as I do. I mean, yeah, you can get it at the store, which is easy, but if your life is flying around, you're on the run like so many of us, you know what? Go to BoyersCoffee.com and you'll get coffee shipped straight to your home. That's, again, how I do it. BoyersCoffee.com. So many flavors. So many consistent, great coffees. You have to give them a try. BoyersCoffee.com. Now, back to Drew and Clint Hurdle. I'm going to ask you to retell another story on Helton. Um, and that is, and I can't recall who it was. You'll remember he had just arrived and and he's watching Helton hit and he's like, you know, Helton's fouling pitches off the bat's perpendicular. And, and he said something to you and he said, oh, that's nothing. Wait till both feet leave the ground. Tell, tell that story, Clint. You remember that one. He showed up in Asheville, North Carolina, and he was out of gas. Flapping singles to left field and he's didn't beat up inside. I mean, it was hard for him, I think, for what he wanted to be able to do and what he, the task he had left in the tank to do. But I just watched the kids. I thought had incredible hand-eye coordination. Could beat a pitcher with his the pitcher's best pitch. He could still get a hit off of. Saw that early. 
But the fact of the matter was that this guy, more than any other hitter I've ever had, he would rather give up a small body part than waste in the back. And he had some yogi in him because there were times when all it had to be, you know, they talk about Sandoval, they talk about bad ball hitters. All they had to do was be out of the pitcher's hand, and he'd find a way to get the barrel to it. And it used, sometimes it'd be a funny swing. You know, Dante had that in him a little bit, but Helton, there were times when he would take a swing, and I don't think either foot was off on the ground. This is back in the day where I was hitting coach, outfield coach, and first base coach. And anytime our hitter would take a bad swing in an offensive count, I would get a shot to the ribs. I'd get a backhand knuckle or an elbow from Baylor. He was a very strong man. So it became personal with me. Usually the guys, you know, I'd get it from, I'd go and share them. I'd show my ribs the next day. I got black and I'm going to need a flat jacket if you don't start swinging a bat to us. <laughs> but it was Helton one time. He kept saying something. I said, "You ain't seen nothing yet, Don." He's got swinging. He's got neither foot will be on the ground, and he's going to hit a punch somewhere. Don just broke up laughing in the middle of the game. And I think it was about it was about two pitches later that we we saw him take a swing, and we went back and looked at it in the video tape. Both feet were off the ground. He barreled up a ball with the off field gap. All right, Clint. I'll, I'll let you go on this one. We romanticize those of us that have you know spent a good part of our life in baseball. You you know my boys. You know we're a baseball family, and we romanticize about the game because we adore it so much. And we draw as many writers and and people who are very eloquent with with the language have done for generations. We make metaphors uh, from baseball to life. How appropriate and, and and how how much does that resonate with you and how you make your way through your life's journey um, when you when you think of baseball and you think of overall the, the you know the greater importance of you know family et cetera? Well, I've been a baseball purist for years, a traditionalist, uh, if you will, and I'm 63 now, so it would have been 58 years ago. My dad handed me a glove, my first glove, and said, hey, you want to go out and play catch? Well, little did I realize that first time we went out and played catch, that that thing would go on for 58 years. My dad and I still talk baseball. My dad and I still talk about the game today, the game, you know, 10 years ago, the changes in the game, the personnel in the game, the beauty of the game, things he likes about the game, things he doesn't appreciate about the game. He tries to get me to bite. He asks some loaded questions from time to time. But my dad taught me the game, and whether it's the game your dad taught you, the game you learned because of a good coach, the game you learned you made up in your neighborhood and played. Remember, we still got to play games without coaches. Um, you just figured it out. You picked sides. You played all day. You came home. So I'm in a seasonal life right now, and I kind of see baseball in a seasonal life right now. Um, it's not changed. Um, one thing that is constant in life is change, and a couple other things are constant. Like nobody usually likes it, and it's hard to embrace. So for a lot of guys my age right now, there's been a lot of national teeth, maybe the last couple of years. Um, I felt the change coming on about five years ago with the analytical uh, explosion. And, and we leveraged it well in Pittsburgh. I learned so much the last five years managing about you know, different ways to look at the game, different ways to evaluate the game. And right now, I think there's days where if the game of baseball was an emoji, it'd have a tear. Just because, you know, there seems to be three rewards out there. We all talk about it. So, you know, there's a, there's a walk, strike, right? there's a homer. There's still a great game. And you've seen some at Coors Field already this year. But you're always already seeing some things in the last couple of years that we haven't seen. Strikeout numbers increase every year. Wild pitches and pass ball numbers are, are larger every year. Hitters are hunting. And, you know, I think you know, we talk about eliminating the shift. Why is that? Because we can't hit? You know, I don't know how much sense that makes. I get twisted on the runner in second. Why do we put a runner in second? Because we can't get him on first. So it, it comes down to the inability for us to be offensive-minded, to figure things out offensively. Pitching has exploded. 
However, at the same time, fishing's exploded. It's just become about velocity and spin. We got guys hunting spin rates now. We got guys hunting launch angles now. Not everybody, but a lot of them. Technologically, and I don't know this for sure, but with the advancements in technology, we're also got two biggest scandals going on since the, the steroid area, the HCH area, 20 years ago, whatever it was. This, this sticky stuff on a baseball, you don't think that's a direct correlation to spin rate? You know, so it, it's, it's monitoring, it's governing. I, I think we need to be, always need to be innovative, always need to be creative. I think the hard part for me right now in baseball, there's two things. Number one, we're eliminating the opportunity for a player to fail, more, more so than ever. You know, everything's a match, can be a matchup. Some of the strategies have kicked to the curb because I know I've got a handful of managers that I still talk to that they more or less get handed playbooks. You know, if this happens, you do this. If this happens, you do this. I was fortunate the two places I managed. I can't blame anybody <laughs> for the decisions I make because I made them. Yeah. So we've eliminated the player's ability to fail. And what grows men, women, anybody, what grows you more than failure? We're eliminating a, 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 an opportunity for players to fail or have great success, you know, because we've got a better matchup or we've yeah. got better numbers we can leverage and we can use. The other hard part, you know, for me is I think baseball – we seem to be more concerned about finding the money than refining and growing the game. I think they, they go hand in hand, but it's hard to figure out what your fan base is right now. COVID has you know, wrecked a lot of things, but who is coming to watch? Do they truly not want a three-hour game? And now we've got a lot of other things going on based on a different generation. And every generation has complained about the generation before. I don't want to be that guy. I just want to be part of the solution if I can be. I don't want to be part of the problem. I'm not going to be a grumpy old man complaining about the game. I mean, there's really good things going on. Some things are great that are going on, but it just seems a lot more top of the mountain, bottom of the valley stuff going on because the batting averages, because of some of the numbers. I mean, when's the last time you saw so many crooked numbers throughout a season? Teams scoring 11 in a season. If you say they can't hit, then why are they hitting? Um, it's because, you know, there's a level of pitching that's that's not as good um, in some areas because we're getting kids and just trying to throw it as hard as they can. I really believe this. Those are just my thoughts. They're not said with angst. They're not said with displeasure. I still watch the game. I, I still love the game. Um, and I'm not going to – I don't go to bed at night worrying about the game. I just said if somebody ever asked me, I'll share my thoughts with them, you know. I was in it for, shoot, 45 years in youth court. Um, and I tried to pay attention. I tried to learn. But at the end of the day, I'm grateful and I'm, and I'm thankful for the opportunities I had. And, you know, the next time, maybe I'll see you. We'll do when I'm in Denver, what, the night? You ever go to high school games? <laughs> Since you are a high school coach. <laughs> yep. You know, the, the thing that, uh, the thing that I take away, Clint, and I say this quite a bit, um, you know, you, you always have to evolve and, and the game evolves and, and you can't bury your head in the sand and say, well, this isn't how it was done. Um, to your point, you don't want to be the grumpy old man. You don't want to be the get off the lawn uh, guy. And, and I do believe strongly, you know this because we've talked about it before, there has to be you know, a hybrid. You have to welcome new information. You have to embrace information, but you also have to honor the fact that it's not a math equation. The The game is played by human beings. Um, the game is played with emotion. The game is played um, by, uh, you know, by people and they're not, they're not robots. And um, I, I do think there has to be, you know, the hybrid model that honors both sides and you know we can leave leave it at that but um i think that's profoundly important moving forward well i agree when you eliminate the hearts you eliminate the human and i'm not saying that i'm not saying that's done everywhere it's been done in some areas and you don't have to go excited neil and i would have this conversation in Pittsburgh because when you call players pieces that's when i just want to sit down and share my thoughts with you because they're not pieces Unless you're looking at it as a chess game, 30,000 feet up, 
game's always easier when you're in the fourth level. But they're not pieces. I understand the terminology, but say what you mean. They're players, and, and, and they're human beings, and there's a lot going on. And I think when you can really, truthfully, what we were able to do, you know, whether part Dick, part Dan, part Kelly, um, when you can develop that positive affair of the heart where the players fall in love with the place they're playing and for the fans they're playing for and for the uniform they're wearing, then you got something Absolutely. We'll put a period on it there. Hey, Clint, always enjoy it. I can't thank you enough for your time. Uh, look forward to, to hopefully seeing you when you're in town here uh, in, in the next couple uh, with the dedication of the McGregor Square. And uh, my best to Carla and the kids. Thanks, buddy. I love you, Drew. Happy 100. Hey, I appreciate it, man. Back at you. Love you, man. Big thanks, as always, to uh, Clint Hurdle for joining us. Uh, I always enjoy my conversations with him and uh, on, on a number of subjects. I mean, there we've had a lot of subjects uh, or, or a lot of conversations, I should say, over the years that have nothing to do with baseball, have to do with the reading material, have to do with life. And if, you know, Clint is somehow involved with the organization again, we'll see. Um, but I think that would be a great thing. I really do. Um, not only the roots here, uh, but uh, creative, innovative, uh, deep thinker, and um, and somebody this community has always embraced, and he's embraced the community. But we'll see what happens. Um, we'll see what happens uh, going forward. A reminder to check out and download the DNVR Rockies podcast with Patrick Lyons and Drew Creesman. They're my guys. I'm with them every week. They're kind enough to allow me to jump on. We have great baseball banter and reminisce and talk about the current Rockies and baseball subjects and other stuff as well. It's a fun listen. It's a good listen. Um, they are, they're top-notch, and, uh, and they become good friends. So I enjoy being with them. That's a DNBR podcast. Tell your friends about this one. Make sure you download uh, and subscribe. Always appreciate uh, your feedback as well. And uh, we'll do it again next week. So stay safe, stay well, and uh, enjoy the next several days, folks. Take care.